Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. That's me. I'm that part of the sentence, and I'm awfully uh, glad that Todd Mulligan came by in the last hour. That was a lot of fun. His new book is called Being Right Versus Being Liked, and boy, do a lot of people want that book. So I just said to Todd on the way out, because um, he left me eight copies, and I said, hey, how about you giving me some more copies? And he said, I would be happy to. So I'm going to swing by his office and grab a whole bunch more. So a lot of you who... Uh, wrote in and wanted to be in the drawing, more and more will get a copy than expected. So that's the good news. So thank you for uh, your participation and for uh, asking for his resource because it looks like it's going to be a big hit. So um, it just came out too. So we're going to have a great hour of this hour. Dr. Tim Walsh is going to be joining me. He's a friend and also a senior uh, vice president at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. And he's a licensed psychologist and ordained minister. And uh, he's Quite a resource. He's going to be giving a presentation, uh, I think tomorrow night, called The Born Again Brain. And his presentation describes how God changes our brain once we choose to follow him. Kind of integrates uh, brain scans and research and the gospel. And and Tim's going to give us a nice big preview of that presentation. So that's ahead coming up in the next uh, 25 minutes. I'll take a break and bring on Tim. Be encouraged and equipped at the start of every day through the Faith Radio verse of the day. Sign up at MyFaithRadio.com under the subscriptions tab. And when you do, a daily email will be sent to you containing biblical hope and encouragement. You can also text the word VERSE to 555-888 and an email link will be sent to you. That's VERSE to 555-888. Helping you stay grounded in God's truth. Faith Radio. When faith connects with your life, the picture changes. Your spouse isn't just your spouse, they're God's child. Your children aren't projects to be raised, they're legacies to be left. And work isn't a list of tasks. It's a calling, a purpose to bring God-inspired change wherever you are. When faith connects with life, amazing things can happen. So thanks for listening to Faith Radio, connecting faith to life. Welcome back to the show. My guest, Dr. Tim Walsh, Vice President of Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. He is an amazingly uh, bright man, and he's a friend, and I love that he said yes to come on the show today. Tim, welcome. Well, hi, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for the kind words. Well, I mean all of them. And I'm, I'm really fascinated, as are my listeners, about what happens in our brains when we uh, navigate away from a life of uh, addiction and being unregenerated to coming to faith in Christ, and then what happens to our brains as a result? Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, so, uh, Bill, if if we look at what the world says about our brains, it's not very hopeful. Uh, in, in the chemical dependency field, they say that addiction is a chronic brain disease with lifelong risk for relapse 
and that we have to be vigilant all the time, otherwise we're going to fall back into addiction. Uh, that's, that's not what the Bible says uh, about our minds, and that's not what research says about our brains. Uh, what, the, what the Bible and research agree on is that the, the brain and the body are designed to change, and it's called different things, neuroplasticity, that's easy for me to say, neurogenesis, uh, and or morphological, morphological like metamorphosis that, that uh, our brain changes or it can be transformed. So it's not hardwired. Uh, it's actually softwired in a sense, and there's a lot of capacity, and it's built in, it's designed by God for our brains to change. And, of course, the Bible says that our minds can be transformed. Yeah, that's a big word. I mean, the transforming, the renewing of our minds and the way God takes out our heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh, and we become a new uh. person in Christ. So, yeah, I, we absolutely can and are rewired, I hope. That, no, that's right. And, and No, even going further, I, I love what you just said about becoming a new person, because the Bible goes even further. It says that we can die to our old person, our old self, to our flesh, our old man, the Bible says, and that we can we become a new man, a new person, uh, that we can be changed in a new person. Whereas in, in, in the mental health field, you often hear people talk about personality, and uh, by definition, our personality doesn't change much, if at all. So that's not very hopeful. But the Bible focuses in on those things that can be changed and uh, through this, the strength that God gives us, the power that God gives us. The Bible focuses in on what can change. So it's very hopeful. And uh, so, for instance, our character, it, it, uh, the habits of our, our, of our thoughts, the habits of our behavior, how we manage our emotions, how we treat our relationships, our motivation, all of these things can change, and, and we actually see that change within our body and within our brains and, and the effects on our life. Mm-hmm. Now, Tim, there's going to be a divided camp. There's going to be some that say, that is the best news I've ever heard. And other people are going to say, no, I'm always going to be, have this addiction hanging over my head the rest of my life. Well, so I, I think, I think the, the, appropriate, uh, <laughs> the appropriate way to think about addiction is we do need to have humility. I think that what the Bible also says, of course, we have this flesh part of ourselves, this part of ourselves that uh, can exist, in a sense, apart from God and apart from the life of God. And, that, and, the, and, and the, the Bible says that God's intention is to act, that we mortify that or put that to death uh, daily. So there is a part of ourselves that is not going to be transformed, that is there, and that if we attach our will uh, and our desires to that flesh, uh, we will fall back into sin and into addiction. So there, we do need to have some humility about that and get our life and our strength uh, from Christ on a uh, day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. So, so I think that's, that's a good attitude that way, but the notion... Uh, that uh, I need to, that my brain is never going to change, or that I, I am always, always going to be craving uh, uh, chemicals or alcohol and so on. That's simply not correct. Most people find a pathway over time. It's actually the overwhelming majority out of addiction and other life-controlling problems or uh, addictions. So, uh, I, I, so there's hope, but we also approach uh, this with humility as well. It's interesting because the uh, way in which we can change behavior is um, a a simple shift in habits. I think you talked about uh, behavior and certain habits, and we pair a lot of stuff together, don't we, Tim? You know, people say, I always like my coffee and cigarette in the morning. And they go, because you've paired those two together. So maybe wake up and have tea and go, I don't need a cigarette now. No, that's exactly right. In fact, one of the 
that's one of the theories, and actually it's based on neurocognitive science right now, is when we pair our willpower uh, with uh, our motivation, with our desires again and again and again, what happens is those do get kind of wired together, and that becomes a what's called deep learning. Uh, and so that's why it feels like, that's why it feels like it's never going to change because it becomes so reflexive, so automatic uh, in, in our behavior. But think about that. Can we actually refocus our will? Well, we can. Can we actually start to change the way we think about things and then how we act on things? Yes, we can. And actually, can we take our desires and focus them in on the things that God thinks are good and that will give us life over time? And the answer to that is yes. And so what that means is we can have deep learning in a brand new direction. So uh, the, the neurocognitive science tells us that, and the Bible tells us that. Mm-hmm. And the brain really is the most amazing organ, organ isn't it? I mean, you talk about this neuroplasticity, and it does, and it can uh, continue to change throughout your whole life. It, it, it does. And in fact, they used to think, uh, uh, brain researchers used to think that uh, most of that change occurred before we became adults. And, and good luck after that, right? Right. Uh, so it wasn't very, wasn't, wasn't very optimistic about that. But we're actually finding out that uh, this neurogenesis, new, uh, the, the, the nerve, neuron growth, and then what's called dendritic branching or just a, you know, our, 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 these connections reaching out and, and forming dense webs within our brain, that that happens throughout our lives. And, and these, um, it, it's, it's, it, you've ever heard of that expression, Bill, whatever fires together gets wired together? Mm-hmm. Have I have heard, heard that. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and that's what they're finding out is that firing together, that wiring together uh, can actually create new connections, uh, and that, that can change the very chemicals in our brain, the blood flow within our brain, the electrical flow within our brain, and then and as we take one step back, it actually starts to change these very habits of mind and behavior. Yeah, Tim, isn't it just like God to have a plan and a method of recovery from sin and destruction oh, yeah. into new life and new growth and new abundance? Yeah, oh, well, well, you just hit on it there, Bill. That's really good. Because um, one of the things that I emphasize in this presentation I'm going to do at uh, the Missionary Evangelism to Corrections uh, uh, banquet tomorrow night uh, is that God has given us a way, and that way works. And that shouldn't surprise us, but it, it, it seems to surprise us a bit that he, he says that if we practice this way, what, what Jesus called the way, uh, you know, like, and, and I, I bet you, Bill, if I asked you about this, did you do today? I bet you if I asked you, have you meditated on something, some truth today? I bet you would say yes. I have. Have you prayed today? Yeah. Oh, yes, I have a lot. Uh, have you done something good for somebody else, like service? Today? Yes, I have, actually. Thank you for yes, asking. Yes, you have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> have you done some praise and worship today? Oh, yeah. You didn't think I'd be quizzing you on these things. I didn't. I no, I feel I, uh, like I'm on the hot seat. <laughs> Uh, have you confessed something today? You know, maybe maybe some uh, mistake that you made or something you need to repent of with the Lord. Um, you know, I don't want to be five for five, but I am five for five. I did. I have confessed something this morning. Yeah, and have you read your the Bible today and meditated on that? I got up at three o'clock and started reading the Bible. Beautiful. Have you uh, have you done some exercise today? Yes, I have. Yeah, you're. Uh, I know you're amazing on all these things. So, um, and so. Uh, so, Bill, what you just described, and I, and I bet you live this way almost every day, that is the way. That is the, the that way of life. Uh, that way of life does 
renew and transform our brain, our body, and actually starts to transform both our, our relationships and our life. Well, that's uh, very encouraging, Tim. So I, I appreciate it. I mean, it, it is, um, it's out there and it's not that complicated if you just take small, tiny steps a little bit that's at right. a time. Yeah, that's doc- right. Yeah. Dr. Tim Walsh is my guest. He's vice president at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. We're talking about the born again brain. How fun is that? We'll take a little break and be right back with Tim. Dr. Tim Walsh is my guest, Vice President of the Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, and he's giving a presentation tomorrow night called The Born Again Brain. I thought, I want to get a preview, and he's, he's certainly doing that. So, Tim, it's relatively new information, uh, science and research, that the, the brain plasticity uh, was up until like the 60s, I think, that they didn't, they believed that changes in the brain only took place during infancy and childhood. But now that's completely been turned upside down, hasn't it? Oh, that's correctly. So, so we have all these different methods. You know, there's magnetic uh, resonance imaging. Uh, there's SPECT analysis. There's all different ways of studying the brain that neurocognitive scientists are using, and we're seeing that no, indeed, the brain continues to develop throughout life. And when we use the word "develop," uh, Bill, uh, think about this also as deep learning or deep change. That's what we mean by development: is deep learning or deep change. So can I give you a, just a, a, what I think is a beautiful picture of Please. what God has designed our brain? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, look at the, I look at the brain as a finely cut gem, like the master gemologist uh, has designed it. And if you light up a certain facet in, in our brain, a different part of our brain, you'll get a different spectrum of light and colors uh, that are reflected. And what's cool about that, when I think about that, because that's what they're actually doing when they're studying the brain, uh, is that that relates to that we are, that our purpose of our existence is to glorify God. Well, what does that mean? And what it really means is we reflect back to God His goodness. That's what it is. And so when we, when we practice life the way God has shown us to live, we glorify God through that life. And so we reflect back to him that he is good, that the world is good, that there's good in other people, that life is good, and then ultimately I am good. As I am in Christ, I am good. That is, that is, that's the glory. That's the, the ability to glorify God. Well, all of these spiritual practices you and I just talked about, the ones that you and I uh, attempt to practice every single day, mm-hmm. do glorify God. Well, I am encouraged, and I know listeners will be as well, because there uh, is an overwhelming response of uh, people listening to the show that have a loved one that is struggling with an addiction, and they, they sometimes wonder, is there hope? Can they change? Can they become new? Will they always be haunted by this? And uh, the answer is complicated for sure, but I'm encouraged uh, that the evidence is suggesting that God will create a new person and a new transformed mind and like it says in galatians 220 i've been crucified with christ and i no longer live it's death to the flesh isn't it tim yeah it is it, it is and and when we say the flesh uh, the flesh and then the way the brain works is is what happens is the pleasure center of our brain when we feed it these chemicals and other addictions such as uh, pornography and, and gaming and vaping and smoking and all that when we feed it uh what happens 
is the pleasure center of our brain develops a direct connection to uh, the part of our brain that is strategic and tries to find a way to meet that need. So we have this craving that, that's, that needs to be satisfied. And instead of it going to our uh, judgment and our goodwill uh, and our decision-making and our wisdom, our discernment uh, between what is good, what is bad, what is right and what is wrong, what works in the short term, what works in the long term, it doesn't go to that part of our brain. It goes right to trying to find a pathway to satisfy that craving mm. or that urge. And then we, we, we create that connection between that pleasure center uh, of the brain, that reward center of the brain again and again and again. And so it feels like we have no willpower, no control whatsoever. And of course, every time we engage in that addictive or simple behavior, we feel horrible about ourselves. We feel remorseful. We feel disgust. We feel shamed. And of course, what does that lead to? That actually leads to engaging in the behavior again. And so, uh, what, so I don't know if you want to get right to you know what what the what what these spiritual practices do to the brain right now, but that's, that's I do. what the flesh actually is. Yeah, that's say more about that too. Yeah. Okay. Good. So uh, what starts to happen through spiritual practices such as prayer, meditation, praise and worship, and so on, everything we just talked about, is God actually, uh, as the Bible says, get, is at work within us to will and to do. God is at work within us to will and to do. So what happens over time is the part of our brain that is the willing part, uh, which is about judgment, decision-making, wisdom, and so on, that part of our brain gets built up again and again and again through prayer, meditation, uh, um, on God's Word, and so on. That part gets built up, and then that develops, like I call it a superpower, to connect to this deep part of our brain that's the reward center or the pleasure center, and, and actually, uh, we develop a superior ability to control or me- mediate or manage that pleasure center of our brain. And then, and then that part of our brain tells the, the, the part of our brain that, that finds always finding a way to meet our needs, to meet our cravings and urges. That's, that's what tells uh, that part of our brain what to do. So it truly is God working within us to will and to do. That is the that is the you know what we're calling the born again brain tomorrow tomorrow night. So Tim, when I think about you talked about the pleasure center of the brain. Now that is certainly open to corruption as a result of the fall, isn't it? It, it because, is because yeah, you know people people that have used and abused uh, drugs, for example, and alcohol. I mean it 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 attacks their pleasure system to the point where maybe they have a hard time enjoying a beautiful sunset because they go, eh, boring. Uh, That doesn't work for me anymore. That's really good, though. So what happens, so here's what's pernicious about uh, addiction is it ends up sucking the life out of you. So two things happen in your brain as a result. One is you lose the ability to care about, to value, and to take pleasure or joy from the things that you take pleasure used to take pleasure and joy from. Uh, your, your, your relationships, uh, having uh, good fun, uh, going to church, uh, being with people, fellowshipping, all of that uh, begins to become totally unimportant, and you feel uh, apathy. Uh, in relationship to those things. Why? Because of the addiction. And then the other thing, the flip side that happens is our uh, uh, our ability to experience pain and stress and anxiety and discomfort, that actually increases. So essentially we become uh, in, like, like babies, like everything is, is hurting us and we can't even handle normal everyday stressors. 
So that is what happens uh, with an addiction when we feed it again and again and again. Uh, the things that are important in life become much, much less important. Our one love becomes our addiction and our ability to even to endure, to have grit, uh, to persist. Uh, that is decreased through that addiction. Yeah, our pleasure center was never designed by God to be artificially stimulated by illegal drugs. Uh, I would say that's exactly right. In fact, um, one of the examples that I like to give is, so God has given us a glorious experience of, of, of having sex and marriage, and it really does become an amazing experience. Well, meth, uh, can give you uh, five times the dopamine uh, that that experience does. Well, nothing can compete with that. Right. But that's the first time, the second time. and But pretty soon, you're not getting that kind of payoff anymore. It gets less and less and less and less. And so pretty soon, you're using just to feel normal, and then you're using just to feel just below no- normal after Oof. that. And so and so these, these, these chemicals, right, they, they burn you out. They burn out... Uh, your receptors, uh, and they burn out your ability to actually even feel these these positive emotions. And Tim, even if you are using this to try to um, medicate some of the bad feelings, it's also going to eventually wipe out all the good ones. So you're going to become fairly numb and listless. That's correct. Yeah, it, it literally starts the because you flood your receptors with these neurochemicals again and again and again, uh, what happens, your, your brain compensates by reducing the number of receptors in the brain. And so, so that's why uh, when you get off of drugs, when you go through a jaw at first, uh, you're feeling really, really uncomfortable after that uh, because that's what the drugs are doing to your brain. Uh, it, your brain was not designed for that kind of an overload of those chemicals. Uh, so you're exactly right. That's how the brain then compensates. Now, now, the good news, of course, if we flip that, the good news is your brain rebounds. Uh, mm-hmm. If you stay in sobriety, if you stay in recovery, your brain does rebound. Yeah, because you think of a, a powerful drug like a chemotherapy drug, and not only does it kill all the bad cells, but it has to, by its very nature, kill all the good ones. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. It, you know, it, it's not, that's not, the only thing I would, I would just differ a little bit on that, though, is it doesn't literally kill... Uh, receptors, but it does reduce them over time. But we can get that rebound. Uh, we can get that rebound effect. But it's yes, it's a, well, a lot I'm, like that. I'm no medical doctor, Tim. I just occasionally yeah. make stuff up. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I do actually. But yeah. I, I think I, it's a, just a comparison. I think I was making that you know it's it's uh, it does attack all cells. It doesn't reduce, of course, all the good ones. But I see people right. that have used uh, drugs to the point where. There's no joy in their life whatsoever. And I go, I thought these were supposed to give you joy. And the truth is, it's now given them torturous pain. That's it. Yeah. Tim, I'm excited that you are, are said yes to coming on the show today. It's always nice to talk to you. And I now I'm, I'm going to wish you well and pray for you tomorrow night. Thank you, Bill. Really appreciate you having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Dr. Tim Walsh has been my guest, Vice President at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. I like to just think of him as Tim, my friend. We'll take a little break and be back in just a minute.
All right, I would like to begin by quoting my guest, who's in studio with me, Dr. Megan Brown. She said, I had to ask myself, who am I becoming? And upon evaluation, is that who I want to become? What a provocative thought and question. Uh, Megan is uh, here at the University of Northwestern. She uh, earned her Ph.D. in educational studies from Talbot School of Theology and taught at Biola University in La Marinda, California, where she lived for years. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mel. Uh, this is kind of a big loaded question you asked. Who am I? Yeah. Where do we begin with that? Where do we begin yeah, with that? Yeah, that's a big one. Started with, uh, what, mom and dad, and, you know, that's where I all began. Yeah. And by the mom and dad, obviously, but my family has lots of dysfunction, to be honest. And so I think that's part of the question. Like, who am I based on that family piece? Who am I based on my call, my faith? And then how am I going to live those things out? I think it's the root of it. And I teach every day, and so I hear students asking those questions oh, of themselves. Yeah. Um, so the question has more layers to it than just, who am I? Sure. Yeah, when I want to talk about those layers. Um, when you uh, start a class and you start teaching a class and you get a lot of students that say, all right, this I have to figure out, who am I? Mm-hmm. What is your approach with that with them? I think it's multi-layered, and it depends on the class, obviously. So the class I'm referring to in the blog post that you're quoting is a relationships class that I teach. And so it's kind of an interpersonal relationships class, um, but it's designed for ministry majors. And then I usually get majors from all over campus, which is kind of fun. Are people interested in relationships? Can you imagine? I can't. (laughs) And there's a a class that offers uh, ways to improve that, huh? That's the idea. Yeah. Um, At least some tips on thinking about all those pieces you mentioned. So family upbringing, your faith, Uh and how all of that pours into kind of who we are, who we become, and how we think about ourselves. Yeah, and how long do we try to sit and figure this out? Well, in the class is a semester. No, 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 but in life. (laughs) In life, I think it's ongoing. Yeah. Probably our whole lives. We have to ask those questions of ourselves. Yeah. Um, So once we know who we are in Christ, we're way better off, aren't we? Right. Yeah. That's kind of what I say, too, in the blog. So having that rooting in our true identity, which is being children children of God, um, that that's the core and all those other things are just outside yeah. things. That- so let's quote our good personal friend, Charles Horton Cooley. Let's do that. Is he alive? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think he's around it anymore either. <laughs> so let's just say he said, I am not what I think I am. I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. He probably didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> you don't think so? That's very confusing to me. <laughs> explain, explain the last one. I am what I think you think I am. So most of us, our identity rests in what we think other people think of us. Whether we've heard those messages from, again, family or friends or outside sources, whatever they might be. And so sometimes the way we describe ourselves is not who we really are. It's who we've heard we are. Oh, interesting. So I've been told things about me, and then I communicate to others what I've heard about me. Mm -hmm. Well, that's weird. But we all do that if we think about it. I suppose, yeah. So I have students that I make them reflect on this, and they'll say, you know, you're right. Someone's always told me that I'm shy, but I'm not really shy. But I always say that about myself. Mm-hmm. And so they have to kind of deconstruct some of those yeah. pieces of who they thought they were based on what they've heard. And how much of that is constructive and how much of it is destructive? I think it depends on the person. Okay. Um, because if you've been told a certain thing for much of your life, mm-hmm. and you've somehow believed that God must be calling me into this, that isn't necessarily true, is it? Right. Okay. And I met the student yesterday, I did an example, 
Um, she was saying she came here as pre-med, and she thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a doctor. And then she realized, why am I doing that? Like, I don't like dissecting things. I don't like anything to do with the medical field. But I've been told my whole life, you'd be a good doctor. And she said, so I heard that and internalized that, but that's not really who I think God's called me to be. So wrestling through some of those pieces, and that's career-related, not necessarily yeah. the depths of her yeah. soul-related, but... Right, but when we think about messages that have been spoken over us, and they are going to impact our identity mm-hmm. or our perception of who we are. Right. So that starts uh, as soon as we have ears to hear. Yeah, yeah. in the womb probably some research Probably in the womb. Yeah. Yeah. So when we come to the realization that we've been maybe lied to for much of our life, then mm-hmm. what? And sort of the faith part comes in, right? So going back to the Lord and saying, here's who I've been told I am, I am, and maybe that's not who I actually am. And so if we put our identity in those things that aren't necessarily true or accurate, that's where we have all the problems, right? So if our identity lies in our jobs or our relationship status or fill in the blank, all those things can fall apart or fail us or not follow through where we think that they will. And that's when we often have identity crisis. Because I thought I was going to be fill in the blank, and that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But if our identity is rooted in who God called us to be, his children, then those other things are secondary. Yeah, an identity crisis isn't a one and done, is it? No. You can have like 300 of them, can't you? Yeah, sure you can. <laughs> yeah, where as you go through stages of life, your right. identity sort of changes a little bit. It doesn't, I mean, your character may not change, but your identity might change. Your perception. Your perception, yeah. Every identity will change. Yeah. So we have to kind of reflect on Scripture and what God says we are, mm-hmm. and that's not a one and done either, is it? Right. And we are con- continually changing, right? We're dynamic people. And so God is shaping us each day if we allow him to. So hopefully that rock of being his child continues to be the foundation and that God continues to work in our hearts to shape that piece mm-hmm. so we more fully understand what that means. Yeah. So, Megan, if, if we were like longtime friends and I said, boy, my identity is just kind of in the tank right now, what would be your suggestion as to be baby step one to try to get out of this funk? Good question. I think maybe step one is prayer. Okay. So go to the Lord with that. If you're a believer. If you're not a believer, that's going to be a whole different conversation. That's a obviously. whole different conversation, which right. I agree. <laughs> um, I think a good place to read is First John. I think it's just saturated in how much God loves us as his children. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a I recommendation I might make to read there. A friend of mine um, who was a missionary in India, she had this struggle and a mentor told her to read Ephesians. And so I might point you there depending on the situation. Um, so some scripture, some prayer, and then some good counsel. So find someone that can speak truth into your life yeah. from a, a healthy place. A multi-layered approach. Right, huh? yeah. Yeah, which is meaningful. So how do we get to the the root of who we really are, you know, when you, versus what people have informed us we are, because there's so much baggage that people have. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, baggage that has been uh, false information. Sure. Like, you know, people saying to me, you know, you should be a, a, a model on a magazine. And of course, if I went to New York and tried to get that job, I would get fired. I wouldn't get in the front door. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how much of that stuff do you want to hear and go, well, that's not good information. Right. right. So you're asking, how do we sort How do we get to out? the root of who we are versus, versus what people are telling us? Yeah. I think some good reflection is one part of that. 
So that's what I make my students do, which they don't like okay. often. Tell me how that works. So it's uncomfortable. And how would I do it? <laughs> um, so what I do in class, I make them draw a self-portrait, Ooh. which they all hate. Yeah. Well, not all. 90% hate. Uh-huh. And then after that experience, I have them reflect on, okay. You mean with words or a oh, picture? Oh, no, a picture. An actual oh, who, who picture. Can, who can do that? Who can draw? Some people can. Okay. The point is that you not make it beautiful, but that you think about, who you, it gets them to think about who they are. Okay. In a visual way. And then I make them jot down characteristics. So they make the, the picture of themselves, and then they write down, okay, who is central to who I am? Like if I had to list characteristics about what's central to me. So they list things out. And usually they start with just basic things, a sister, a daughter, a friend, or whatever. And I give them some categories to think through to go beyond just those levels of just names of things. Where do they go from there? From sister, friend, brother, where do they go from there? Usually it's more personality types of things, so internal. Like? So like I am an avoider. Okay. I avoid conflict or I am extroverted or I am fill in the blank related to kind of more internal things. And hopefully they get to child of God at some point in that reflection as they're thinking about things of who they are. It doesn't come up right away, huh? Not Often? for some of them. Okay. Depends on the student, obviously. Of course. And we're in the Northwestern bubble, so some get there faster than others. Um, but then they go beyond that, and I had them put down things that they let other people know about them and things they keep to themselves about who they are. And so as they reflect, they kind of sort through, why do I keep these things hidden or to myself? Or it's not the first thing I think of mm-hmm. when I reflect on who I am. Um, so that's part of where we start. And then I give an example in my own life. Self-talk's important. And so I grew up being told I was nosy my whole life. So I can't remember a time when someone didn't say, gosh, you are so nosy. Really? Yeah. Like my mom Were said it curious? to me. Yes. That's where I'm going. Look at you. Oh, wow. Yeah, just so, a step ahead. So I got to my PhD. So in my mid-20s, I yeah. had a professor. We had to describe ourselves in three words or less. One of those, you know, class yeah. introduction deals. And he paused and looked at me kind of hard. And he said, Megan, you're not nosy, you're curious. And those are good, that's a good skill, a good thing about who you are. God made you that way so you could learn. And I thought, mind blown. My perception of myself was nosy. But if you flip it, curious is good. That's mm, it's how very we learn good. things. Yeah. yeah. So part of it in that reflection is some of those things that maybe have been pegged on us as seeming negatives. And then flipping it to say, oh, that's not bad. That's a good thing that God put in me and how I made yeah, so it's interesting that that was what was assigned to you, and yeah. that's something you carried into your PhD. I did, yeah. Yeah, and nosy is kind of a annoying sort of quality. Right, right. in our culture Nobody especially. Nobody likes a nosy person. No. But people love curious people because mm-hmm. they curious people are great communicators. They ask questions about you. Mm-hmm. Tell me about you because I'm curious. That makes for a great friend. Yeah. And a great listener. Hopefully. No, absolutely. People that talk about themselves are quite boring. Don't you agree? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. So so, um, these descriptors are going to be helping uh, people come up with their identity perception. Mm -hmm. Is it ever worthwhile to say, um, let's just say, you know, a 50-year-old adult is listening and I'm going to write down what I have as my five descriptors that would suggest these, what I would think are my identity perception, then I take it to a significant other and go, what do you think about this? That's a great idea. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. And I often tell them, go back to your roommate or your best friend or your significant other or whatever you've got and just ask them, if you had to describe me, what would you say? 
and see how your list compares to what they say. Sometimes they match, sometimes they don't. And that's another place, a layer of reflection to think, okay, why don't they match or why do they match? Um, what can I learn from that? How is God shaping me in the midst of these different conversations? I think all those are good points to continue doesn't, thinking through. Doesn't God want us to uh, enjoy, understand the gifts he's given us? Sure. Because isn't it at some level, don't we want to just uh, be known by others and and feel connected? Yeah. How do we do that if we keep keep all these things hidden. Right. And that's kind of the root of it. So we all long to belong to someone or something. And so identity, I think, is a piece of that, looking for that belonging mm-hmm. and understanding who we are in yeah. light of those around us. Would you say more about the daily shaping of the process of God shaping us daily? Sure. I think that's of the interest to me. I've got yeah. my notebook out and my pen. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> See if I can give you something to write down. Yeah. Um, so I think as we walk with God, it is a relationship, not just us with the Lord, but also those around us. So yeah. That's an important part of this. I think as we walk with God, hopefully it's a daily shaping and surrendering on our part. And we have to bring God into those relationships, don't we? Sure. We can't leave God at the corner and say, now I'm going to go out and go yeah. about my day. He's coming anyway, if you want him to or not. Absolutely. So. <laughs> but in terms of how much we reveal to others about who we are and yeah. how much we love God is going to be shaping us, isn't it? And acknowledging that, yeah. Yeah. And so the way that we talk, the things that we surround ourselves with, all of that's important. So I think as we walk with God each day, it becomes more of a relationship on our side, walking with him, and that should kind of spill out to everyone else. It's like an infinity pool, right? It's not, it just keeps going. Um, if our relationship with the Lord is close and we're shaped, being shaped by him on a daily consistent basis. I don't know if I answered your question. But... It did answer my question. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you should see my notes. Dr. Megan Brown is my guest. She's a uh on faculty here at the University of Northwestern. She does uh, church and Christian ministries. We'll take a little break. We come back lots more with with, uh, Dr. Brown, and we're talking about who am I? No, really, who am I? We'll be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the show. Awfully glad to have Dr. Megan Brown in studio. We're talking about who am I? And uh, we're really asking that question and figuring out ways to let God shape who we are. Because we were talking earlier about the self-perceptions we have based on what other people tell us about ourselves. And that can make us a little crazy, can't it, Megan? Sure can. Yeah. So when it comes to understanding who we are, if we know who we are, it's going to help us live out our calling in life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think of Jesus in the upper room, um, and I think he basically told his disciples where he came from, who he was, and where he was going. Mm -hmm. Boy, if you can do that, you've got it. You're pretty dialed in. Well, it's Jesus, so... Well, Jesus, right. Yeah, I know. But if you don't know where you've been, it might be hard to know who you are. And if Mm -hmm. you don't know who you are, it might be hard to know where you're going. Where you're going, yep. Yeah, so it's kind of a comprehensive package, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Sure. So talk about how knowing who you are is going to help you in your ability to figure out what your calling is. Okay. I think think Paul's a good example, too. So when Paul talks in Acts, he gives his testimony, basically, in Acts 22, where he talks about that. So who I was 
how I was called, mm-hmm. and then where I'm going, where God's called me to. So I point that out a lot to people that ask these questions about thinking through who they are, where they're going, and how our identity plays into that some. So understanding our testimony is a part of that. So my faith story, what is my faith story, and how does that point to where God has given me skills and gifts and abilities, and how's that going to help lead to where I'm going next in my life? So often I think, as we think of identity, those things are things God has crafted and put in us mm-hmm. as his children. And so if we identify, okay, these are skills that God has given me that are part of who I am, yeah, not a part of who other people have told me that I am, but who God made me to be, that often helps us sort through what's next, where am I going, what's God calling me to in light of those things that he's given me. Yeah. Megan, where is that passage that Paul says that I always uh, refer to, you know, Jesus giving a full understanding of who mm-hmm. he is, obviously where he had come from and where he was going. And yeah. to me, that was always this powerful image of of a, a complete person. Uh, and he was the ultimate complete person. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know exactly where that is and where Paul says it? I think it's Acts himself? 22, I think. Acts 22. Okay, I could I'm be a, wrong, just, so everyone just, look it up I'm right now. I'm in study mode, Megan, so I want to go back and study Acts 22. Oh. Um, but it, it's uh, it's hard to ask hard questions about ourselves. Sure. Because oftentimes we're afraid of the answers. And then who do you trust that can give you a fair, honest shake? Good answers. Yeah. I mean, because don't we all have biases? And isn't it hard sometimes to find someone that you can trust? And our own perception, right? Gets in the way sometimes of, of ourselves and other people. Yeah. So obviously the answer is God gives us the best picture. Mm-hmm. But that's not always an easy answer because sometimes we're not good at listening or hearing what God's telling us. So I think outside counsel can be helpful, but that's a trained counselor that can walk with us or a spiritual director even that can walk with us um, through those faith journeys, especially, or just a mentor. That's a person that's of faith and has lived some life, more life than we have. that can speak a little bit of wisdom Mm -hmm. into those areas. Do you see mentoring happening a lot in your sphere of um, influence in your world? Do you see a lot of students that are, Hooking up with mentors? I see a lot of them that want that, that, that desire that. That's interesting. In so we have a shortage of mentors. I don't know if I want to answer yes to that. Okay. Maybe we have a shortage of knowledge and how to make that happen. So I often tell students, a mentor's not going to show up at your door, knock on your door, and say, hey, can I mentor you? Yeah. So you have to be proactive on both sides. So you have to seek out a mentor, and as a mentor, to seek out someone to be mentoring. But that can be uncomfortable, right, to ask someone to be in that role in our life. Mm-hmm. And often the word mentor freaks us out. So why? I think because we assume, oh, if I mentor you, that means I have things to say and I have wisdom and experience. Sometimes we don't feel like we have that. So I often will tell, as a youth pastor, I would say this to my teenagers too. Don't ask someone to mentor you. Ask them if they'll be your friend. So an older, wiser person is happy to be your friend and meet with you for lunch once a week or those kinds of little things. But if you say the word mentor, sometimes they get freaked out. Like, That's interesting. Mentor, I can't do that. Some would light up thinking, oh, a mentor. You know? I would love to, and yeah. some don't. And others would go, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because all of a sudden there's someone that's going to be asking me about my life. Right. I don't know if I want to be answering that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, some just don't feel like they have things to say. So that might not be true, but they feel that way. Yeah, but if you sit down and open God's Word, you're going to find God's Word is going to do all the talking. Right. Right, and everybody knows basically how to be a friend, right? In most cases. Uh, yeah, in most cases, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you 
have conversations among your peers and friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, how often do people say, hey, Megan, I, I know you're not on the clock right now, but I, I don't know if I know who I am. Are you getting that among older people as much as you do students? Because I, I know there's a whole bunch of men, particularly that have had that first phase of career, mm-hmm. and they've sort of wound that down, yep. and now they're going, <gasps> now what? Right, what's who next? Who am I? Yeah. Some of those folks come to me just yet, so I know the listeners can't see me, but I'm not as old as I might sound. Um, so I don't know if that group of people necessarily are in my sphere of influence, but I think even as I wrote this blog and posted it, some people at my church did come and say, that was so helpful. I never thought about some of those things. And some of them are approaching the second second career, if you will. So they're mm-hmm. midlife. Yeah. So I want to go back to one of my original questions because, sure. you know, people have gotten in their car since we started. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really the whole idea of who am I, who am I becoming? And the big question that comes out of this is, is this who I want to become? Mm-hmm. Talk about that part. Is this who I want to become? How do we determine what it is we want to become? Again, do we go to scripture for that? I think so. And I think as children of God, that's the root. So we want to be children of God, Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. Um, Because I think God has called us all to different areas, not different, not conflicting things, obviously. But we're not all called to be the exact same profession, for example, the exact same person. That wouldn't be any fun. We're all different. So asking ourselves... In light of my identity being rooted in Christ, am I becoming that person or is something else happening in me that I need to address and think through and reflect on and ask God to enter those places and shape those areas that maybe are not in line with what I see being a child of God being? Mm-hmm. I think it was a guest on the show, and I can't remember who said it, but it was don't uh, compare yourself to others, but compare yourself to who you were yesterday. You think that's a helpful piece of advice? I think that is good. Yeah. So hopefully we're growing each day, right? So am I doing better today at following God and being the person he's called me to than yesterday? You know, when I think of the uh, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, I sometimes ask myself, am I more loving, am I I more peaceful Mm -hmm. um, than I was last year? Mm -hmm. And usually the answer is, well, I hope so, but I'm not sure. And I think that's kind of a good benchmark. Yeah, I think so too. As far as comparing ourselves to other people, that's kind of what our world does. So hopefully we don't fall into that trap. And it's gotten easier to compare ourselves to others because of um, all the platforms that now exist. Right. Um, We have a running clock of pictures and stories Mm -hmm. and experiences that we measure ourselves against uh, foolishly, I would say. Right? Most of those are good moments. People don't post their bad moments, right? So we're comparing to their best self and not necessarily their true self. Mm Mm-hmm. So the whole idea of asking ourselves, who am I? Who am I becoming? And is it who I want to become? This is a great topic, Megan. And I, I, I think it's interesting that we're having this at the end of the week because it's going to give people a weekend to think about it. Mm-hmm. And let's just uh, remind listeners that uh, there are ways in which you can do some self-diagnosis. You can sit down and, and write down five, five key descriptors um, that might suggest your identity based on what other mm-hmm. people have told you. Mm-hmm. So that's a, he- a healthy practice, right? Yeah, it's good. That's not... a good starting point to reflect. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then also um, talk about the messages that others have spoken over you because mm-hmm. you've had messages your whole life. Right. 
And usually there's two categories of those messages. I don't know if we said that earlier. There's usually positives, so upper messages, things that have encouraged you and speak truth in that area, and things that maybe are not so encouraging or discouraging that you've heard repeatedly in your life. Mm-hmm. And then, as always, um, go and reflect on Scripture and ask, who does God say you are? Mm-hmm. And I promise that's where the joy will come because in right. all of our imperfect imperfections and flaws and all the things we don't like about ourselves, we are his beloved. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth. That's at the root. That's the truth. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Megan Brown has been my guest. Um, awfully nice to have you here. Thank you for coming in and doing the show. Thanks for having me. You are a real pro. That wraps up our show. Thanks for listening and thanks for being with me all week. I love our time together, as you know. Uh, Have a great weekend, everyone, and I think it's time to ring the bell. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.